Origin 2 is hotly approaching. The Blues can put the series away at home this Sunday. It's a Sunday, weird. Uh, how's that changed things? We'll find out how are the two camps going. Let's get into it. It's time for your daily dose of Sporting Agenda, your audio edition of the Fox Sports homepage, The Splash, with your host, Phil Pryor. Happy winter solstice, everyone. Shortest day of the year. But I bet it doesn't feel that way for 34 Origin players who nervously prepare for Sunday's Origin 2 at ANZ Stadium. It probably feels short for Origin reporters, though, who are frantically getting their stories together. Uh, one of them joins me in the podcast bunker, Simon Brunston. How are we? Good, Phil. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, good. You've been out at Coogee every day uh, as the Blues camp continues and moves towards Sunday. Also joining us today is uh, Fox Sports News 500 reporter up in Queensland, Mark Gottlieb, uh, at Sanctuary Cove with the Maroons camp. So let's call him in and then we'll kick off this podcast. Mark Gottlieb, how is Maroons camp? Oh, it's certainly a different mood from game one. They were very, very relaxed heading into the series opener. And I guess when the series is on the line, it's a little bit more tense up here, but uh, very similar to game two last year when they, I guess, were a lot more serious going into game two when they knew that series was on the line. And look at the way that turned out. The results went their way. Certainly it wasn't the best half to start to game two last year, but they ended up getting the job done. So I, there's a lot of similarities this year to yeah. last year, particularly when it comes to sort of Billy Slater being back and the, the the focus on that as opposed to other things. Yeah, okay. And what, what differences uh, can you sort of identify from how Maroon's camp is uh, heading into game two compared to game one? Uh, well, I, I guess Kevy Walters is the, is the obvious one. He was obviously very tense earlier in the week when they announced the team. Uh, certainly has been moments of tension, but at the same time, when he's around the players, you can sort of see that it's only really when he has to deal with external stuff that that uh, those barriers come up. You know, that's a you know you circle the wagons sort of sort of mentality at the at the Maroons when they feel like they're under pressure and we've seen in the past even back under Mal Meninga um, even at their height when they were so full of confidence they they could always retreat to that that feeling of you know it's us against the rest of the world or us against the the Sydney media that's out to get us or whatever um, you could sort of see that at the start of the week but then when they get away from the cameras they get away from uh, the public you can sort of see that they're they're still relaxed amongst themselves it's just that external uh, external barrier and I guess the other thing is game one preparation there was so much focus on uh, all of the players who weren't training and their their training sessions were very disjointed there was always at least one or two players sitting out and everyone was focused on who was and who wasn't training and Hunt wasn't training Morgan wasn't training Slater didn't train um, it was a very uh, disjointed preparation whereas now all of the focus is on Dylan Harper like they still have one player who isn't he is doing all of the training sessions uh, and there is a Willie or won't he storyline of, of will he play or not. 
but he's out there at every training session. So there isn't anyone sitting out training sessions. So that's the ma- that's the other major difference I would notice between this preparation and, and game one. Yeah, okay. Uh, Simon, what about uh, in the Blues camp at, at Coogee? Uh, because obviously, same situation as last year, heading into a game two where the Blues can put away the series mm. at home. But it's obviously a completely different team under a brand new coaching uh, staff as well. Yeah, you say that. And look, I've been at training all week, as you mentioned earlier, and, and the the feeling is quite relaxed. If you know they've been very open with the media, we've watched every single training session. They haven't haven't shut us out at all. But um, I think they're all extremely aware of uh, what happened last year. Um, the players make no mistake. The media has been peppering them with uh, with questions about last season. Even some of the rookies, you know, he was talking to Angus Crichton yesterday and, and he was remembers watching that game too last year where, you know, the capitulation they were leading and then the Dan Gago try and the Thurston kick to win it. Um, so the players are very aware of what happened last year, even though there's a new coaching staff and new players. Um, and I don't think, speaking of the players, I've asked them about, I'm, I'm, it sounds like Freddie and, and Brandy and Bedsy and Joey and the coaches aren't making a point of it. They don't really want to bring it up. They're, yeah. they're all new themselves. They've got 11 new players here in camp. They don't really want the wounds, uh, you know, the pain of, of past campaigns um, to be used as motivation. But on the flip side of that, you've got guys that were there last year. You remember Boyd Cordner was crying in the sheds um, after game mm. two, and he's actually got a he's written a game day column for us, which will run on Sunday morning on, on Fox Sports, um, sort of explaining the feeling of, of you know, when Thurston's kick went over and then the siren went and he realised that they'd let let the game slip and then ultimately they'd let the, let the series slip. So as much as Freddie's made a point of making the entire camp, not just this camp, but game one as well, relaxed and open and he's tried to be very open with the public and the media and everybody, but I, I know internally the players will be, you know, going to sleep every night thinking about last year's series yeah. and, and very yeah. conscious of not letting that happen again. For sure, yeah. One of those things that coaching staff doesn't need, even need to bring up, essentially. Mm. Uh, it's a Sunday this year. Uh, guys, gentlemen, both of you, how how drastically has that affected Origin preparations? Maybe we'll start up there north of, of the Tweed with you, Mark. Uh, well, it certainly can, obviously, it condenses things. It's a, uh, Origin camps up here are sort of a meandering sort of thing. They... They train in the morning, they do a media, they often have a day off in the middle. Uh, game three, they always do a day where they fly out to a regional town in Queensland. Like, it almost feels like the 10 days is too much. They don't need 10 days. Yeah. But then the moment they went to this sort of six-day preparation, this this one week, then they, everyone was like, oh, well, that's not that's not enough time. We need, you can, that's, I think, a lot of the reason why Kevin Walters was so tense early in the week is he was he didn't want to waste a day to doing the selection and the teams. He'd rather be out there at the training session already. You know, he's already picked the team. Why does he have to stand there and spend his morning talking to the media? He, he's got to get stuff done. I think there's this sort of... Uh, like a, a bit of a flip side of they thought they didn't the ten days was too much, but now seven days or six days or whatever, however you want to describe it, is not enough. So yeah. they certainly there's no days off in the middle of these camps. Uh, they had they had the obvious the team selection on the Monday and then the light training session in the afternoon, and then Tuesday is a big open media session where all the media can get their interviews and uh, done for the week, and then they have the afternoon off and then it's Wednesday, Thursday training 
they're flying out tomorrow. I think they might have an early a, a light training session during the day, and then it's it's the captain's run. You know, like it, it, it's it's like the game has crept up on them faster than they necessarily would have thought, and that's obvious going to happen when it's a shorter preparation but I think that's where the tension in the camp is coming from is that mm. it's the unknown we haven't really it's been a while since there's been a I'm not even sure if there has been a, a weekend origin game that I can remember off the top of my head so people there's a sort of apprehension about the unknown mm. Mm. I think it's almost it's the six day turnaround or seven day turnaround has almost normalized the week I think for a lot of players especially yeah. these uh, I don't know. The, I feel like, like Mark was saying, with the, the ten days in Origin camp, um, and it almost feels like too long. And I think that's one hundred percent correct. You know, these guys, um, the build up to games with so me- media and public, there's, it's so generate, intense. Yeah. And th- if they've got ten days to stew on it before the game, I think this six day six day turnaround, it's normal for them. They do it every single week. So, f- um, for New South Wales, they got together on Monday and they had a, a recovery session. Tuesday, they had a big session. The, the thing with New South Wales, um, and I haven't been keeping an eye on the weather up in Queensland where Mark is, but with New South Wales, the weather has actually impacted their preparation this week in quite a big way. Tuesday, Kujiova was closed by the council very last minute, just before media. I actually showed up to Kujiova and looked at my phone and had an email saying, oh, no, we've gone to Moore Park. And they had to go to Moore Park. And um, Lucky Media was standing there for an hour and a half in the pouring rain watch, <laughs> watching them train. Um, luckily, the last two days, Coogee Oval has been open. So they had a light, a light session Wednesday. Thursday this morning, I was at Coogee Oval. I had a big session uh, where they actually ran through plays. Um, cameras were turned off, but Media was actually allowed to stay there and watch some of it. I won't give away too many secrets to uh, <laughs> to Kevy, but... And then they got tomorrow off, and then Saturday, New South Wales is actually, they got the captain's run, but then they go to the races. They, they're going to Randwick to support the Mark Hughes Foundation Race Day at yeah, Randwick. Right. And I think that's that's Freddie's, well, it's, there's a couple of reasons why they're doing that, but, you know, I think Freddie wants to relax the players before yeah, this, especially yeah. with, as I mentioned before, with the, the pressure of what happened last year and um, uh, the intensity around, around this game. But I think the six-day turnaround, Apart from the weather, I think the six-day turnaround hasn't necessarily been a bad thing for the players. Yeah, uh... it's interesting that you talk about their approach, though, to to the the media and opening training sessions, and it has been really interesting to watch from up here that they're making players available. They're they're being as open they can with all of the interviews, but then at the same time, there's this thing from the media that oh, they're letting us watch training, which is a really bizarre thing for up here because. That you can't film training up here, but they do their training session amongst the public. There's always a mm. hundred people here watching the Maroons train every day. You can stand here and watch Maroon. You've always been able to stand here, watch the Maroons do their opposed session. Like they they did an opposed session against the Queensland resident side yesterday. They did it again today. Uh, you can watch that training session, and you've always been able to watch that training session. Mm. Uh, you just can't film it. So it is all. It, it's always been this weird thing that. What can you actually learn from watching a training session? You know, they don't like film, but sporting teams in general have all different rules as to who can and can't film things. I know from experience, the Broncos let you film their entire training sessions all week. You can film all of that. They don't care. It's only the captain's run where they let you yeah. film the first 20 minutes and then it's all the cameras have to turn off. Uh, it is interesting that 
everyone in Sydney's like, oh, we get to watch training now. We get to know what's <laughs> happening. And it's like, why weren't they doing that before? I, I, I'm an, I, I cover rugby league. I love rugby league. I've been following it my whole life. It's pretty hard to watch a training session and learn too much other than, okay, yeah. this player's playing here. You know, I, I, I don't know enough about their play. I've watched their plays 50 times and I probably couldn't tell you the, the difference between the one they just ran and the one they ran 10 seconds earlier. Uh, there's, it's not like there's any Blues ex, uh, experts and Blues assistant coaches who are here watching watching media. That's a, That would be ridiculous. So mm. I, the idea that you need to hide training or you need to uh, not film training just always seems really bizarre to me. I mean, you can probably learn how Dylan Napa's an- ankle is coming along and you can, exactly. prob- you can probably also yeah. learn if uh, Kalen Ponger is, uh, is, is doing any drills at fullback. What can you reveal for us there? Well, I know that Napa's ankle, he's getting through the training sessions and I think there's a lot of talk about the Wednesday deadline and the Wednesday deadline was that he had to train on Wednesday, that he wasn't allowed to sit out Wednesday's training session, that if he wasn't there, they were going to make the call then and there that, that Tim Glasby was going to get the job and Napa, Napa was out of the team. Um, and he trained yesterday, he trained today, uh, he got through uh, probably 85, 90% of those sessions and then he's come off early and he's had ice. So it's a bit of a, it's still up in the air, but the, he certainly is getting through these training sessions. Whether or not he's putting the entire stress on that ankle that he would if he was fit, uh, that's only he and the medical staff will know that. But I had a, I did have a very, very brief chat to him after the training session when he was in an ice bath and he said, I said, how's the ankle? He said, mate, it's fine. So uh, that's as good as as you're going to get, I guess. And uh, that being said, he got out of the ice bath and he was walking pretty gingerly. Uh, who knows whether or not that's because he's just been sitting in freezing cold water and his body's hurting or because his ankle hurts. But certainly uh, he's doing everything he can to prepare. He's got the cryo machine uh, that he goes into once or twice a day, which is a minus 170 degrees Celsius. So that's that's pretty pretty extreme. Um, they're only in it for a few minutes, but I imagine those few minutes are oh. very very uncomfortable. Um, and wow. he's also waking up. He he said he'd slept about 12 hours in the three days after the game on the weekend. Uh, in the in the three days because he was getting up every three hours to put ice on the ankle and yeah, um, yeah. and and he's been been doing it. So you can't fault his preparation and his commitment to being uh, as ready as he can. Uh, and Ponga will. Pong has certainly been ever-present in the training sessions. We've seen him chiming in as a fullback, uh, interestingly. Uh, I'd be very surprised if you've got Billy Slater and Billy Slater's fit. I'd be very surprised if they pull him from the field or they move him to another position because we all know how valuable he is for his experience, for his talk at the back, for the way he conducts traffic both in attack and defence. I think it would be very shocking if Caelan Ponga played any fullback unless Billy got injured. Yeah, um, yeah. Certainly most of his training this week has been playing that traditional floating uh, floating uh, back rower in the middle. Uh, so he's certainly he's getting his hands on the ball and just running and letting play unfold in front of him. That's the traditionally how the Maroons have always used their utility back. Michael Morgan did it. Cooper Cronk did it that way. Uh, we've seen in the past that that's what they want from that number 14. Uh, and it seems like that's the position he's playing, even though he has 
literally no experience doing that, yeah. playing in the NRL. He's only ever played on the wing or at fullback. But they, the Maroons, any time you talk to one of the assistant coaches or you talk to one of the players, they are supremely confident that he has the skill set to oh, do yeah. that job. For sure. He's a footballer. He'll be fine. Hey, Simo, what are the, what's the Blues reaction been to Ponga's selection? What, what are the, the murmurs and the conversations happening uh, when the cameras are off? Look, I think they're all, obviously they're all very aware of what he can do when he's on the field and when he gets the ball in his hands. And they've been, they'll prepare for that. They've, they've got video sessions where, you know, they'll, the coaches will talk about it and they'll, they'll look at vision of what Ponga can do and they'll, they'll have plans for that. The thing is, their, their planning is pretty limited because they have no idea what role he'll play. As Mark just said, I mean, the assumption is that he'll come on depending how the game sits with 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go, and he'll run around in the middle of the park and try to create some stuff. Um, that in itself is pretty hard to, to plan for and defend against. Yeah. Um, but it's it's different. So, so like a guy like Billy Slater, for example, they can watch endless video on him and they know what he thinks he's going to do during the game and they can actually put plans in place to try and shut down Billy Slater. Whereas Caelan Ponga, they're a bit like... Is he going to come on end of the first half? Is he going to come on with 15 minutes to play? Is he going to play fullback? Is he going to be in the back row? Whatever. Yep. Is he going to be at hooker? So planning's pretty limited. But in turn, the players, you talk to the players and they're all glowing. Nathan Cleary said to me, Caelan Ponger is his favourite player to watch in the NRL at the moment. <laughs> Which They're the same age. They're both 20 years old. It's a pretty incredible uh, compliment coming from, from someone like Nathan Cleary. Oh, big time. Big time. Uh, and... Alternatively, um, it's it's been the Matt Pryor story in in Blues camp. He he beat out Ryan James uh, to replace Regan Campbell Gillard uh, in the front row. Uh, Simo, I will start with you. Um, look, everyone seems confident that Matt's going to come on and do the job. He's probably he, it, it's said that he's been picked because of similarities uh, to how Regan Campbell Gillard plays, but also probably just being solid and mm. and he he's not going to. Uh, make any errors or concede any yeah. penalties, that kind of thing. Um, are they going to throw him straight straight into a starting position as well? Or yeah. So the word is yeah, he'll swap straight in. He'll start at prop. Yeah. Him and David Clemmer will be the starting props. Um, I thought earlier in the week Jake Dubovich might have been promoted to the starting side, and and Pryor or James may have been put on the bench. But speaking to the coaches and what from what Freddie said, it sounds like Matty Pryor will start at prop. But like like you said, I think that the word to describe Matt Pryor as a player is safe. Uh, that's been his entire career. He's won people. People don't forget, but he's won two premierships. Um, he's been around for a hundred years. He's <laughs> he's been everywhere. He's never yeah. uh, talking to talking to people at training about it. He's not the sort of guy that will in the seventy fifth minute do an Andrew Fafita and break a tackle and offload and set up a try and win the game. He's yeah. not yeah. got. If he does that on Sunday. I'll eat my words. Well he, done. To he, him. he did in in that game down in Canberra uh, as the Sharks well, made it made it through the first weekend of the final. So it is against his, the Raiders. It, it is in his range of outcomes. He can, is what like I'm he, can, he, he has an, he has a bit of an offload, but like you said, he's safe. Um, yeah. the, I think the reason Brad Fittler swayed towards Matty Pryor and not Ryan James is Ryan James is that guy who might in the seventy fifth minute do something, um, a massive hit, or he'll make a run and offload that might win the game. But he's also not that safe. He can give away yeah, a lot yeah. of penalties. He can miss tackles. Um, he's got a bit of downside to to all the good stuff that he does. Whereas Matty Pryor, he's not he's not a flashy. He's not a game winner. I don't think. He, he's, look, he's the Blues' Tim Glasby, um, and mm. I don't think Maroons 
players will be losing any sleep with the selection of Matt Pryor, Mark. But what was the reaction to finding out that the Blues had opted for Pryor and not James? I think that, to be honest, it hasn't been a thing that comes up here. I've been surprised, and and you guys bring it up, I've been surprised how little they are talking about the Blues players. Outside of Cook and Tedesco, uh, there isn't that much concern as to what the Blues have selected uh, either way. They, They were expecting... You know, whether they went with Ryan James or whether they went with Pryor, that the, the Maroons knew those guys are going to get the get the job done. They're good footballers. There was never a, there wasn't really any concern as to who. Uh, it wasn't even a question that came up in any of the press conferences in the few days leading into uh, into that decision uh, from Freddie as to who he was going to go with. It, it never came up, and yeah. it, we we talked about last year after game one. All anyone was talking about was the Blues and how do you stop Fafita and stuff. Even still, in this game, there hasn't been that much talk about trying to stop Tedesco or trying to stop um, Cook, who did so much damage. It hasn't been the same emphasis that there was last year with the way Fafita uh, absolutely towed up the Maroons' forward pack. So it's mostly been focused on on the Maroons. I do know that the, the Queenslanders were very, I guess dismissive of the way or dismissive is probably not the right word the Maroons thought that if Kevin Walters had treated Ryan James the way the Blues did in in game one he would have been getting pilloried uh, everyone <laughs> would be smashing him the, the, the idea that and, and maybe it is the, the Queensland media up here that Ryan James is a very he plays for the Titans so he's very he's a, he's a very lovely bloke he's one of the nicest men in rugby league he's very good with the media and there's, he's got a lot of fans amongst the media and, and supporters up here in Queensland even if he is a blue but the fact that he was in the team told he was in the team told he was on a flight and then an hour later he was uh, told that he wasn't in the squad even though the Titans had a bye and there was no reason whatsoever to not just get him into camp for a few days. Um, they a lot of a lot of the talk up here was that if the Maroons had done something like that, w- there would have been absolute outcry of where's the Queensland loyalty? There, where's the disrespect to? Here's this disrespect to the player. So certainly for for Ryan James to be in the squad, out of the squad in game one, and then in the squad and out of the squad in game two, uh, there's a lot of. I guess people up here scratching their heads, what, thinking, what does Ryan James one have to do to get in, get picked for the team because he's a pretty good footballer, and two, at what stage do they maybe, if they don't think he's going to be in the team, maybe they should stop telling him he's in the squad. It took just over twenty minutes for shots to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> bang bang, uh, <laughs> Mark. I, I should let you go because I know you probably got another live cross on uh, Fox Sports News five hundred to. Uh, prepare for what can uh, what can fans and viewers expect on uh, Fox Sports News uh, as we build up to to Sunday? Anything we need to keep an eye on? Oh well, I do know we'll hear from Greg Inglis tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. So that's that's he's been very quiet. Uh, I know Cameron Smith does a lot of media, used to do a lot of media in the lead up to to Origin camps. Greg Inglis has gone a different route, and that's that's fine. He's perfectly entitled to do it that way. He's, he'll do his media session for the week tomorrow morning at nine a.m. So I'm really interested to hear what he's going to have to say because uh, he yeah we haven't heard too much of him since since game one. Yeah, yeah, uh, very nicely done there. Mark and everyone out there, listeners, uh, look out for Mark Gottlieb's work in the build-up to Origin 2 and, of course, Origin 3. Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. 
No worries. And uh, I'm glad you said Maroons this week instead of the Maroons. Oh, that's true. That's true. I, I've, uh, I've dropped my guard. I'm going to I'm gonna have to think about that one. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, Mark Gottlieb there. Uh, and, yeah, Simon, what do you reckon? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Mark firing a couple of shots at, uh, <laughs> at Sydney there in, uh, in New South Wales. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, but so we've got uh, a couple of days build up to the game. As I mentioned, the Blues have Friday off. I'm uh, not sure what they'll be getting up to, but I imagine it's not too much. And then Saturday they've got their captain's run then, and they're off to the races. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on foxsports.com.au, uh, Sunday morning we'll have a, uh, a captain's column exclusive from Boyd Corner. Um, ahead of the game. So that, that'll be a good little game day read if people want to jump on. Also, this afternoon, uh, Thursday afternoon, we'll, uh, we'll have a, a nice little yarn also with Boyd Cordner um, and his uh, how Aaron Woods uh, sort of helped him overcome some serious knee problems that he was having last season, which you know could have really put his, uh, his spot in the Blues team mm. in jeopardy this year if, if he didn't have a chat to Woods and end up getting this uh, this surgery on his knee. So that's a nice little yarn too. So mm. keep an eye on the website over the next couple of days. Indeed. The forgotten man, Aaron Woods, hey. Mm. All yeah. A, a, an injury opens up and out of the two guys uh, to come in, Woods wasn't even one of them. Yeah, it was interesting. It wasn't even in discussion. Like Matt Pryor, just out of the blue, yeah. Uh, yeah, no yeah. pun intended, came came straight into the squad. Um, and, but also guys like Trent Marin, who's been there before, played a heap of Origin games, not in consideration. Shannon yeah. Boyd, Shannon yeah. Boyd, didn't get a look in. Uh, interesting, but um, yeah, hopefully Matty Pryor kills it on Sunday and we can uh, <laughs> tip our house to Freddie. Indeed, indeed. Thank you very much, uh, Simon Brunston, for joining uh, today's Splash along with uh, Mark Gottlieb up there in Queensland as well. As Simon mentioned, make sure you keep clicking back to the Fox Sports website for all of the build-up too. Origin 2, and that'll just about do us uh, on today's edition of The Splash. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another Fox Sports Podcast Network production. Our pods are available on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. And for more digital content, head to foxsports.com.au.